Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. So I want to tell you about our new sponsor of the podcast, Thrive Market. As many of you know, I recently became a dad. My wife, Colleen, and I have an eight-month-old baby girl, Ellie. It's not an exaggeration when I say that as a new parent, Thrive Market has been a complete lifesaver, which is why I'm so excited that we've teamed up with them to offer you $60 of free organic groceries, free shipping, and a 30-day trial membership. Yep, you heard that right, $60 of free groceries. It's a crazy good deal and it's going to save you a ton of money on food and products that'll make you feel absolutely amazing. And you can get all the details by going to thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. Again, thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. If you haven't heard of Thrive Market, it's an online marketplace that's made up of 100% healthy and organic products, the type of premium food, household cleaners, and bathroom products you'd see on MPG. Except on Thrive, everything is 25 to 50% off retail price. They do this by taking out the middleman. They work with brands directly and then pass those savings on to their customers. For Colleen and I, the convenience has been a huge part of it. Everything on Thrive Market is hyper curated, so we're not scrolling through endless lists trying to find the one or two brands that meet our admittedly stringent standards. In Brooklyn, where we live, you often find yourself going to one store for collagen powder, another store for organic soap, another store for the right brand of BPA-free canned beans. It can take hours. And as someone running a major wellness media company, that's time I simply don't have. Thrive Market is one-stop shopping. Everything on the site is amazing, but beyond that, you can click to sort by vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, organic, paleo, etc. You can even sort by more out there things. For instance, as you know, we're big into gut health on MBG. And as you might not know, Colleen is actually a big snacker. So on Thrive Market, you can go to the snack section and click to filter by snacks that contain probiotics. That was how we actually discovered the farmhouse culture kraut crisps, which contain billions of probiotics and are dangerously good. Check them out at thrivemarket.com slash mindbuddygreen. We've also been loving the lifestyle categories. Browsing the mom section was how Colleen stumbled across the organic gripe water that's been a game changer for Ellie's teething pain. I didn't even know what gripe water was, to be honest, and I definitely didn't know that there was an organic version. But thanks to Thrive Market, we now have a happy baby on our hands. And get this, it's normally $12.50 at your local health food store, but only $8.50 on Thrive Market. We recently held our annual Revitalize event in Arizona, where we debuted our new motto, You, We, All. At MBG, we think it's so important to reap the benefits of wellness on an individual level. Sure, we all want to feel amazing and live our best lives, but recently, we've really focused on expanding that message. We believe that wellness can change the world and that people who feel good can affect amazing change, which is why I'm so excited to hear about Thrive Market's one-for-one program. For everyone that signs up, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher to help make healthy living affordable for everyone. Okay, so here's the deal. Right now, you can get up to $60 of free organic groceries, free shipping, and a 30-day trial membership by going to thrivemarket.com slash mindbodygreen. I'd start in the staple section where you'll find the kind of wellness essentials that we recommend on MindBuddyGreen daily, and then work your way out from there, depending on your own needs and preferences. 
Keep in mind, all of their prices are already up to 50% off, and now they're giving you an extra $60 free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash mybuddygreen. But be careful with the Kraut Crisps, though. Don't say I didn't warn you. Okay, now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you all for listening to the podcast and to say that we want to listen to you. So if you have any questions, any dream guests, we are all ears. I would love to hear from you. So ask me anything and stay tuned for the answers or your dream guests on this very podcast. Send your questions to podcast at mindbodygreen.com. That's podcast at mindbodygreen.com. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks so much. And let's go back to the podcast. Today, it is my great honor to have Byron Katie, founder of The Work, here on the podcast. Byron is a true pioneer in the self-help and spirituality movement and has changed the lives of probably millions of people. Her story of overcoming severe depression and changing her life is a story that can't help to inspire anyone, no matter what's going on in their lives. Byron Katie, It is an honor to have you here today. Thank you. It's really good to be here. I'm so impressed with your offices and what you do, and it's it's so beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Likewise, big fan of your work at The Work Mm. and everything you're doing. Thank Um, you. So let's talk about that. So in February 1986, you had this big epiphany, which led to The Work, but let's fill people in on who you were before... February 1986. A mother of three and not doing very well with that. And always worried about money and how to pay the mortgage and how to support them. And and more depressed than words can say. Eventually agoraphobic, unable to leave my bedroom, over 200 pounds. And the depression it ran so deeply, it was difficult to even breathe. And I was looking for a way out, and I thought death was the only way, so very suicidal. And one day, as I lay sleeping on the floor, because I was so full of self-loathing, I didn't believe I even deserved a bed to sleep in. That's pretty crazy. So on this particular morning, as I lay on the floor, actually a cockroach crawled over my foot. Oh my. And I opened my eyes. I came out of this dead sleep. And first I experienced that all the suffering was gone. It was just gone. And there was, there was an, an experience there that I really, I've tried to describe, but I can't. But I can tell you um, what it was like to witness it. I saw that nothing had a name. It was like nothing was identified. And, and, and there was no I there either. But it was like a witness. And then all of a sudden, I began to laugh because I saw out the window, I saw clouds and a sky. And I could see the ceiling and the room and the wall. And the reason I began to laugh is I saw that prior to me believing a name on those things, or prior to me naming those things, 
there was no division. And the laughter was really about, I just saw how the world was created. I saw how I created the world. I believed things into existence and that separated them out. I wish I could find clear words for this, but you know, as, as I, as I um, continue to, um, to share it with people, I tend to have better words for it. But I, I found myself walking into the bathroom, like for no reason. I, I like to say it, it, it was walking into the bathroom kind of thing. But I looked in the mirror and I looked into those eyes that were looking to me and it's as though there was a, a, a self that I could kind of live out of. And I really have never recovered from that experience. The, from suffering to joy, it's not, you know, it's a state that I really wanted to, um, to nurture. So I just, I just really went with it. And in that moment on the floors where the work was really born, I saw that when I believed my thoughts, I've suffer I suffered. And I've come to see this is true for every human being. And I saw on the floor that prior to what I believed life to be, there wasn't life as I understood it to be. And so, you know, I, when people come to me and they are suffering or they want to end depression, you know, problems in their life, we could say, and I simply gave them what I, re what I received on the floor. I saw that nothing was true until I believed it. I saw how I reacted, what happened when I believed the thought, which is identity, that's what happens. And then I saw who I was prior to that, you know, the witness. And those are really all four questions in the turnaround. So I couldn't say, if someone said to me on my my wife doesn't, she no longer loves me. She doesn't love me at all. I couldn't say, oh yes, she does. That's her true nature. You know, because it was, it sounded like, you know, it would leave the impression that I knew better than the, than let's say in this case, the, the man I was talking to. Mm -hmm. But I could put them in the experience I had on the floor by asking, you know, your wife, no longer loves you, is it true? And allow people to discover to discover what I discovered on that floor. Because it's just, you know, it's, we, we believe what we think. Mm. And that creates not only our identity, it creates the world that we, we live in. So our world is um, like you have the world as you believe it to be. I have the world as I believe it to be. And we have all these believers on the planet. And then our belief systems uh, come up against each other. And that creates uh, not, not just a separation, but, but literally wars and bombs and threats and misery. So you were suffering for a while. And, the, yeah. and there was something at the core of that suffering. Yes. And so how do people turn on that switch and, and what is the process from because well, a lot of people are suffering and there have been you know people yeah. experience extreme tragedies abuse so on terrible awful things and and how do they 
you know, I want to talk about like, what, what was that process like for you? And that, that got you to the floor and the cockroach and, and you'd obviously, maybe the work had started before that, that moment. Well, all the suffering certainly was in place. Sure. And all the crazy thinking and, and all the fear. And that developed over a lifetime. Let's say, for example, if, um, if, if I was talking to my mother and she said, Katie, I just don't care. And maybe I was like four or five years old. And, and I said, you know, why don't you help me with this? Maybe she said, I just don't care. And maybe I just believed that. Hmm that my mother doesn't care. That was my interpretation. So prior to that moment, I really thought she cared. And I was so close to her. And then in one moment, I believed she didn't care. So now my identity shifted to, I am the one whose mother doesn't care about her. Now, I didn't believe that on purpose. It was like something that just happens in our brain as we become identified. So let's say my mother said in a heated moment, I don't love you. Hmm. And which I, I, you know, some people, that's their experience, for example. But I don't love you. And there's no problem there. It's okay. Let's say I'm just a little child. And... And I'm innocent, and my life is beautiful. And then in a moment, my mother says, I don't love you. And that's not a problem until the moment I believe it. Now, who shifted my identity? It wasn't my mother. It was the moment I believed. So I'm not guilty of believing. It's like a happening. Sure. So I'm just, I'm identified. Now, I'm stuck with that all my life, and I can tell it and tell it and tell and tell it. And my mother was this, my mother was that. Or maybe I don't talk like that to people, and I try to hide it, but I'm still the one whose mother didn't love her. So, you know, that makes me pretty unlovable. So how do I break that hypnotic trance that I did not do on purpose? I can question it. My mother didn't love me. Is it true? Can I absolutely know that it's true that my mother didn't love me? Well, I really can't know. And as I meditate on that moment in time, I see her face, and I can actually see in that question, is it true? Because I really want to know. I'm going to anchor in that situation and witness it. And I can see now how upset she was, raising three children, my father gone so much of the time. She's tired, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. I can just see that moment. She's very frustrated, it had nothing to do with me. And I cannot know what another person's thinking. So my mother doesn't love me, is it true? I don't even see she was focused on me at all, and I've been living this all these years, let's say. And so how do you separate fact from fiction? I go back to that moment in time and I question what I was believing. My mother doesn't love me, is it true? And I witness until I see the answer. 
Then the next question, how do I react? What happens when I believe the thought? My world, you know, my, my identity went from just a free, happy little child to an unlovable child. Just in a moment's time, self-conscious. Do you remember how old you were? Oh, you know, maybe four or five. And this lasted until? Oh, till 43 years old. Wow. <laughs> and this happens to everyone. It's how identification is born. And if someone says, um, you know, there's, there's a whole thing around obesity and the way we look and or we're too thin or we're too old or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And who would we be if we didn't believe those things onto ourselves? You know, we would, we would be more productive human beings, more caring, more aware, more awake human beings which is obviously what you are privileged to see and make that your life's work. You have the clarity to do it. I'm and trying. Have, well, you know, I think that's all, that's all we are. That's, that's what we've got. So we do our best. What do you think about social media? What do I think about social media? I think that it's, um, there's a lot of news running out there, and I think a lot of people are just believing their thoughts and doing the best they can do. Well, I think it makes it harder. You know, I, what came to mind immediately was Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. You know, someone posts a photo, they're looking for someone else to like it, comment, mm-hmm. validation. I, th- it, you know, personally for me, Everyone who knows me or thinks they know me, they're going to think onto me. They're going to put thoughts on me. In other words, they're going to believe what they believe about me. But that's not me. They're guessing. And then someone else sees that social media. Let's say it's a negative Mm -hmm. uh, post. And someone else sees that. And I see that negative post. Let's say it goes viral. That's still not me. You know, I'm very clear about who and what I am, and I don't expect others to see me that way or believe it. It makes it harder for kids, though, wouldn't it you say? It makes it very they're difficult. they're on social media, they're sharing. How do you, oh. for a five-year-old or six-year-old or ten-year-old? Well, they're like that little, that little girl I described earlier. They're innocent, and they're believing their thoughts. And they don't know how to wake themselves up. Their parents don't understand how to support them to wake up to reality. And, you know, if we go back to someone on Facebook, let's say a suicidal child, which is really happening a lot. Sure. You know, their Facebook pages are there. They read what is written about them and posted, and they begin to feel like, you know, everything from unacceptable to like a freak that's better off dead. And that is simply that child or that young, that young person just, or, or old person, believing what they're thinking. Like if, if I had this viral thing running about how terrible I am, whatever I would, would experience around that, I have the privilege of understanding how to uh, question what I'm believing. So how do you train your brain? to think that way, because it's not easy. I'm a, I am a meditator, and I meditate on, is it true? Like someone posts something that says, uh, Byron Katie is a crazy human being. And at first I have to go there, yeah, I'm crazy happy. <laughs> and for me, 
you know, that's a very different world than, than the world I came out of. But um, I'm a crazy person, and if I believed that, I'm going to feel terrible. I'm going to be fairly paranoid, as a matter of fact. But how do I break that spell? I'm crazy. Is it true? Can I absolutely know that it's true I'm crazy? So I want to go back to that moment, okay. February 86. So you're 43. You mm -hmm. have this moment. It wasn't a butterfly. It was a cockroach. Yeah. And you have this awakening. And then what's next? Because you've come between... That day and today, yeah. you've published how many best-selling books, spoken yeah. to tens of millions of people. I don't even know how many people you've reached. But yes. So what's next? So uh, from the moment on that floor, it became difficult for me to, to talk for quite a while. Like if I said the word I, it would feel like I was burning. You know how we feel when we lie? Mm -hmm. That kind of burning. And if I said, I want to, I want a drink of water, I was unable to say it because I didn't want to teach suffering in the world. So it took me quite a while to be okay with, I can help in the world, but I need to communicate out of the world. So it moved from unable to talk and express to it thinks it wants a drink of water, and, and I could live with that for a while. And then, then soon I was saying, if someone said, where are you going? I'd say, I want a drink of water. And for a long while, it was, I, I want a drink of water now. It was always just because I was never at the water in the distance after that moment on the floor. I was always in the moment wherever I was, which remains to this day. But um, so I learned to talk. I learned to express. And... And then I had an experience, uh, just as an example, I was sitting on a public park bench and people began to sit down by me. And I would sit there daily and then more people would sit by me and the same people would come sit by me. And then I looked up one day and there was a, a long line, a queue of people um, standing there waiting to sit on the bench with me. So I think, you know, what that was about was just about um, the ability without a self to connect with everyone. And I, I love that. It's a freedom. It's a fearless state of mind. And I would, you know, it's, freedom is our birthright. It's the birthright of every human being. And I love that we wake up to that. Do you remember some of those early conversations on the bench? Well, mostly I was quiet and listened. And, and I think that was the... So you were like a therapist <clears throat> on the bench. Yeah, I think that was the magic. You know, it was just, I was, I'm, I'm a very good listener. And then maybe they would ask a question and I would just speak out of my own experience. And maybe they would say, say um, how are you? And it, it may take me a long time at that point to, before I learned to say, um, I'm fine, how are you, when someone says, how are you? And you really want to answer honestly. You're quiet for a long time. There's a mm -hmm. lot of silence in that. And so when did your relationship with food begin to change? Just immediately. And I smoked and... and oh, well. So um, talk about but what, what, what that relationship <clears throat> was before and then... The evolution. Okay, so it was the it was compulsive overeating, and it was compulsive smoking, and it was taking a lot of pills to kill the pain because I thought the pain was physical, 
And of course, after the experience, I saw it was 100% emotional. But then after the experience, smoking quit me and compulsive overeating quit me and my choices and and this is really important when i consider you know what you do and and it's like my choices were very different i it 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 just makes sense to do the right thing because there's no mental conflict running to offset the balance of just being a part of nature and the same as nature and everything. So, so the choices, I didn't try. The choices were just, the choices coming out of me were just clear. So talk to me about the, why, why you use that language. It wasn't I quit smoking, smoking quit me. Why is that important? Well, it's important because I think it shows the difference between a confused mind and a clear mind. Confusion is the only suffering. And it's like, oh, what should I do today? Oh, you know, I I don't really want to go to work. I'm so depressed. Life isn't fair. You know, I'm a failure at life. And and how am I going to afford this and that? And, you know, people's heads can, you know, that's where hell is when we're believing those kinds of thoughts prior to investigation. So my life is about just keeping my website up where the work is free, no one has to pay for it, all the directions are there. It's a meditative process that anyone with an open mind can sit in. And um, some people have to to be very desperate to find it, and there are all Mm -hmm. kinds of modalities in the world we can use. But this one is um, the one I have to offer because it's the one that's that's, um, so powerful for me. And so you're talking to people, they're lining up on the bench, when do you start, like, what, talk to me about the evolution. When do you say, well, I'm going to speak to more people. Maybe I'm going to write a book. Well, no, that... that Here's it, it, the framework <laughs> of the work. You start, you know, there, there's a framework. Uh-huh. And there are language choices. Mm-hmm. When does that process begin? So um, people began to invite me. I never... It was, it was not something I was seeking. It's, it's just something that was coming to me. And through word of mouth, my phone started ringing and people... My door was open as and opposed to And where were you living at this time? I was living in Barstow in California. And it's just a little railroad town. My father was um, was an engineer for the railroad and it was familiar to me. And I was raising my children there at the time. And so the um, the phone started ringing, and people started saying, "I've heard about you, and and please help me." And and I always knew I couldn't help anyone, but I I was very well aware that they could help themselves, and that hasn't changed. Hmm. And so, what's what when when on this process do you say, "I think I can write." or I want to write, or, or the well, work needs a book. Well, <laughs> or I, don't, I don't know the appropriate well, language I had use. I had a little book. It was just a, a few pages. It was paper, and I, I know as people would, it would invite me to travel. If I ran out of those little books, I'd just go to a printer and have them printed. Then they were copy shops, you know, just copy stores, and have them copied and, and have one for everyone that was at the event. And, and then I met Stephen Mitchell. And well, first a man named Michael Katz called and he said, he said, I want to be your literary agent. And I said, well, I don't need one. And he said, well, you have a book. And I said, well, actually, you have a book in you. And I said, well, actually, the book's already written. It's this little book. 
and it's still on the on the website to this day. It's free. It's in like thirty six or thirty nine different languages now, and wow. it's and anyone can just hit their little flag and go to that little book. And it's a beautiful little book, and I still hand it out. But anyway, this man kept insisting that I have a book, and so he would call me periodically every three or six months. He really wanted to be my literary agent. He really believed that there was a book there, even though I had a book. But what I could see is that he really, really wanted to be my literary agent. And so at that point, you know, I could really hear him. And I said, okay, and I agreed. And then he introduced me to Stephen Mitchell. And I met Stephen. He called. And so what happened? The work or love? Uh, well, you know, a little <laughs> of both. I think a little of both, or a lot of both. And he went uh, to an event at Michael's insistence. And he watched me do the work with people for a full day. And it was a, it was a beautiful event in Marin County in California. And um, all my events to me are, are beautiful because I only do one thing. And I witness people look to themselves and respond to the questions and come out kinder, clearer human beings. And, and that's powerful. Well, talk to people listening who may, you know, may not be as familiar with the work. Can you try to paint a picture of what the work looks like in, at an event like you went to or what that experience is like? Well, um, I invite people to fill in a Judge Your Neighbor worksheet, and that's on thework.com. And when you go to the homepage, you see how to do the work, and you see that worksheet. And there are six questions on that worksheet, and you just fill those in. Do you remember? Do you know the six offhand? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> I bet you do. Can you share them? <laughs> yes, it's uh, think of a situation that was stressful for you, a situation that, um, that caused you suffering and just kind of mindfully put yourself in that position and identify what emotions you were feeling. And then identify, let's say if you're having an argument with someone, identify why are you angry or upset or resentful, just to get still and identify that. And so now you have statement one filled in. The next one is, what did you want from that person? What did you want them to say or do? What did you want them to be? And just to meditate on that moment in time, that situation, what did you want from that person? And as you get in touch with that, you have filled in statement number two. And then three is uh, what advice, to get what you want, what advice would you, what, what advice would you give that person, give clear advice? And so he should, he shouldn't, and when you get in touch with that, you have filled in statement three. And then four is, what do you need to be happy? What do you need to go from, from that kind of anger or depression? What do you need from that person? What could they say or do or give you to be happy? And, and when you, you, you just, again, the work is meditation. You just close your eyes and you get really still. And when you're in touch with what you need to be happy from that person, then you have statement four filled in. Then statement five is um, to get very still, continuing to meditate on that situation, you with that person, and get in touch with what were you thinking about that person? What were your judgments in that state of anger or, or suffering? And when you've identified that, you've filled in statement five. And then there's one more. It's 
what is it in that situation with that person that you never want to experience again in your life? And you get in touch with that, and then your the, the worksheet is done. Then you question it. For example, I'm devastated because he said he doesn't love me, he doesn't care about me. So then I would question, he doesn't care about me, is it true? And I just meditate on that, on that and stay anchored in the situation. One that I have, it's, a, it's an example that I have on the worksheet itself to help people, guide people. It's, I'm furious at Paul because he doesn't listen to me. And then the first question is, is it true in that situation? He's not listening to me. Is it true? And so again, I'm 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 yeah, I'm in a meditative practice, and I'm witnessing. I can see him. He's furious. I can see me. I am not so happy myself. And actually, my arms are waving at some point, and I'm really out of control as I talk to him, and I see my facial expressions, and that's really quite something to be open to, to take a look at oneself. And it's, it's really an eye-opener, and it can be devastating. And I just invite people to just stay with it and witness how you react when you believe the thought that, um, in this case, that he right. doesn't listen to me. And then I see clearly what I said and what I did, and I see the harm I caused. And a lot of tears can come out of just meditating on that moment in time. And then that uh, fourth question, who would I be without the thought? And now I can see Paul, and I can see how desperately he was defending his position. And I can see the pain. I can see the suffering of both of those two people, the me of the past and him. And then the compassion that flows out of one's experience witnessing that and being still in it. It's really, it's a beautiful thing. And the next time you start to argue with someone, many people say that they're so aware of just sitting in the work that they're unable to, that they're so awake to, mm. to um, when that behavior kicks in again, that it just kind of, it's just like anger quits them. So right. you can work on one thing, like you can work on your mother, father, sister, brother, and then your child does something that would drive you up the wall, and you notice that you're not affected at all. In fact, you're connected with the child, and your choices are so different the way you deal with it. And, you know, it's the same the way we deal with our jobs and each other. Inquiry really shifts identity. Then I ask people to turn it around. So in my case, Paul doesn't listen to me. Turned around, he does listen to me. And so I'm going to to stay anchored in that moment in time, you know, like like 35, 40 years ago for me that I'm describing. I can see it as clearly as I can see you. And well, almost. <laughs> and he doesn't listen to me. I don't listen to him. And I see how he couldn't get a word in edgewise. He couldn't even complete a sentence. And I was just so right and so overbearing and overwhelming and, and um, so against my true nature. And let's see, he doesn't listen to me. I don't listen to me. And I can find those, those places in me where clearly I knew to stop and I couldn't. I wasn't listening to me. I would rather be right. 
And of course, all the time I was wrong. He was listening to me. The proof is I would say something and he'd argue with me. But, you know, I would just, I could see that later as I set an inquiry. So now, Paul's identity has completely shifted in my head. He's not this terrible, cruel person. So what I was thinking in believing onto him or about him is, you know, I'm awake to. And the way I see myself is more compassionate, the way I see both of us. So a lot of what we've talked about are people, relationships. Mm -hmm. How does the work apply to a natural disaster, a tragedy, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of not fun stuff happening in the world right now, yeah. and not relationship driven. How does the work apply to someone who's, you know, devastated with tragedy, loss? Yes. Well, as you know, I'm on my way to Miami, and there's a, a lot of uh, destruction there they're trying to take care of. And for example, a person that lost their home, they might feel that they'll, they'll never get that home back, they'll never have a home again, that there's absolutely no way that they can, they don't have the money, the job's gone, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that's devastated to the believer, and I, I don't say that with any disrespect, but, you know, we could question if I'm that person, and I've tried everything else, I may try inquiry as a last resort, but I'll never, I'll never have a, a, a home again. And then to ask myself, is it true I'll never have a home again? And to notice how, how you react when you believe the thought, you'll never have a home again. Now, let's say I'm one of those people that lost my home. I don't have a job. I don't have any way to start again. How do I react when I believe the thoughts? I see images of the past. I see my home. And I see nothing but beautiful images, how happy I was there. And, and then I see images of the, of the future with no home. And my mind begins to compare those two images, and now I'm devastated because I'm in a dream. I am in a dream that is so real to me. But when I really get still in it, I can see those images in my head of the past and my beautiful home that that's not a home, it's imagination. And then I see the me in the future without that home, without a home. And I see me homeless, and I see other people homeless that I've seen all my life, and I begin to even panic. So is that me that I see in the future? Is that me, or is that an imaginary self? And you know, the, the question, who am I, begins, the answers are shown to us there. You know, it's like, I am not that image of me in the past, in that home, that's imagination. And I am not the self, the me, in that image of the future where I'm just so homeless and, and hurt. So who am I? And, and, and you know, who would I be without my thought, in other words, with, without the thought, I'll never have a, a home again. And I can see that, you know, where I am, I have not only everything I need, there's more in every moment than I need. When I am awake to, I am not that of the past in my head, I'm not that of the future in my head, that's imagination, then I'm present and I can see what I've been given. And there's no human being in the world that doesn't have not only what he needs, 
but more than he needs, even if we're starving to death. And I love that everyone knows that. I love that everyone, everyone has the right to be free. So you mentioned we are human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, you're human, even though you have angel-like qualities to you. <laughs> Do you ever have moments where you're, maybe you're stuck in traffic or something where you just... Well, the, 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 you know, um, <laughs> something um, just bugs the hell out of you. Or you're like, okay, the work slips for a minute. You know, I've got to be honest. I can't think of a moment that I have been frustrated with traffic or conditions like that in life. That uh, because I understand, you know, my mind. I'm aware my mind is in the past or future, and I don't just say that. I can, let's say, stuck in traffic. We were stuck in traffic getting here. In fact, our cab took a street where construction was going on, so it took, you know, an extra length of time. (laughs) That's the worst. (laughs) And I can see the images in my head of being here, even though I've never been to this building before, and being with you, even though this is the first time we've met. But I can see this, this fictitious future and then I can I can see you know the past which is the construction, even though it's going on, mm-hmm. and then the frustration hits when those two are compared. So if I'm awake and aware to those are just images in my head with stories attached, how can I be upset? It's like if I were to be upset, I'm upset over nothing. So that's, that's, that's crazy. So anyone in, stuck in a problem is in a, if they're upset, they're in a, you know, that's a crazy state of mind and it, it holds us back in, in what we're here to do. So why do you think the work works, so to speak? And a lot of self-help, at least in my humble opinion, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. What, and what is it about the work, and was it, what is it about self-help? Well, the work is experiential, and it, there's no fooling around with it if you're really doing the work. It's a meditative process where it's not meant to support you to feel good. There's no feel good in it. It's, it's, um, it's waking up to reality. Well, I love the word choice. The, it was, every, every word you choose is very, very carefully chosen, specifically the work. Yeah. You have to do work. Yeah, you can't just lie down and manifest no, it and go eat a ham sandwich. No. Got to do the work. Yeah. For example, with Paul, if I want him to listen to me and he's not listening to me, then a, a, a war breaks out in that situation. But if I have questioned that and I've really experienced it within that questioning, then the next time he says something that I want to argue with, I'm so awake and so aware, and I can go ahead and argue anyway. But when I notice the emotions that it brings up, then I know it belongs on a worksheet. It doesn't belong in my head, and it mm. doesn't belong, you know, war, doing war with a family member. There's something way off with that. If we can't get along with someone in our family, then, you know, this world is in a. But anyway, it's like I Even want. Isn't that crazy, Anne or Uncle? Uh, yeah, that, that crazy guy. Exactly, exactly. So if, for example, I want Paul to listen to me, when I turned around, I don't want Paul to listen to me. 
I'm very well aware as I meditate on that, I don't want him to listen to me because I was so crazy insane and the things I would say and I wouldn't want any human being to hear. I wouldn't even want me to hear again. So I don't want Paul to hear me. So that turned out to be so much truer because I really got a clear look at myself. And then I want me to listen to Paul. I tried that opposite. Okay, where, where does that make sense? Well, if I had just listened, it, it could be that, that compassion would have been in that space then rather than 30 years later. And so my life would be about, when we look at the work, I want me, anytime I interrupt someone, I want me to listen to them, which is really difficult to do when someone is defending Mm-hmm. because that's a wall and there's no way of breaking through that. So I'm learning to just to be patient, you know, because people do defend. And that's a wonderful opportunity just to be still. You know, so what, any advice for someone? Everyone has to have difficult conversations sometimes. Any mm-hmm. advice for someone who's got to have a difficult conversation and how, really, how to have that conversation and be present and achieve whatever the objective yes. is of that conversation? For me, it's just to know that that person I'm with is my teacher. No matter what they say or do, I'm going to learn something from that. And if I try to, let's say, I try to make my point known, if they're not open to hear me, then I'm open enough to say, I notice um, that I'm not listening to you. Would you please say that again? That's not a great example, but um, listening, listening is where the power is. And then there's always, when you're really listening, there's always a way to communicate your part, but I just don't expect people to listen or to hear me. Talk to me about the power of gratitude. Oh, gratitude. Oh, my goodness. The power of gratitude. <laughs> when, you know, in, in, in this work, I keep coming back to it, you know, because that's, that's the process um, that's so powerful for so many of us. But when, you know, I was talking about that imagined self of the past and the imagined self of the future, when there is not that self, then you have the answer to who am I. And so I'm aware I'm not that, I'm not this. So, you know, your question slipped my mind. The power of gratitude. The power of gratitude. When there is no self, then there is only serving. And gratitude, for me, comes in the privilege of serving because there's no self to serve. And, And... this can be a little frightening to people because, you know, they're invested, but no self means no self, literally no self to serve. And it's nothing more than a fearless state of mind and knowing that everything you need, there is no way you could lose it. And it's valuable, and it's always it's always in the moment. But when we're in the past future, those images of us deficient and deprived and... Um, then there is there's really no room for gratitude. We're fearful. So gratitude, a, f- a fearless state of mind. So culturally, are we thinking about happiness in the right way? Understanding we have everything we need, how are we going to abuse the rest of life? I mean, it's unnecessary. Right. 
we're awake to it, and, and, and again, we make different choices. So is there anything that keeps you up at night? Because on podcasts, but inten- <laughs> uh-huh, but intentionally so because I'd rather hear some of the podcasts than than um, than sleep. And what what has you most excited when you wake up in the morning every day? Life, life. And so what does that look like? What is, walk us oh, through your morning just routine? Opening opening my eyes and and it's daylight and that's really exciting because I see just that. And then just witnessing as I stand up, and what a miracle that is. And so gratitude immediately. Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, I mean with, without anything to interrupt that, that's all there is. And then going into the bathroom and brushing my teeth, that is just so exciting. I mean, if, if you just stop to think about it, that's, that's really weird. We brush our teeth, and, and a lot of fun the bottles of shampoo and soap when we could just have a bar and how user-friendly that is and how sane without all the plastics and everything and just it just makes sense a, a bar of of soap or shampoo I mean it's just and and just just loving oneself and loving what is we really like ourselves and respect ourselves when we do the same thing but our mind will talk us out of it and so do you have a routine? Do you have like, do you have breakfast? Do you have bulletproof coffee? Do you go for a oh, walk? Oh do you read? Gosh. Do you write? Or is uh, it every day is a different? You know, I have an email and texting. And, um, and this morning I had a package of something that I poured into um, a container I could shake sure. with, with, with some liquid. And I drank that because I was in a bit of a hurry to get here. And... and um, yeah. So coming back, I want to talk about food a little bit more. So you mentioned, you know, you lost a lot of weight and you changed your relationship mm-hmm. with food. In your opinion, what is the driver for most people when they have an unhealthy relationship with food? Well, I can, I can just speak out of myself. Sure. There's a lot of pain and suffering and guilt. And the difference is today, um, I don't eat guilt you know, it, it's, it's right out of the garden, and it's it's right out. And, and I can eat in restaurants anywhere traveling like this, but my choices are green, and, and there's no stuff in them. It's just the real deal, you know, and, and I love that. It feels right, and there's no right or wrong to it. It's just straight up. And I don't eat guilt. Yeah. And so... This in you know social media, the world today. We've come so far with with self help, and you know, as a pioneer, someone who will leave a, a lasting legacy. You know, where, where do you think self help is today? One thing I've noticed is there there seem to be a lot of like twenty something life coaches, and everyone wants to be a life coach. <laughs> like, yeah. what are your thoughts about where we are today? And you know, in, in this in, in this hyper-connected world, everyone's yeah. there to give advice, and sometimes you're not qualified to. Well, you know, I think that because there is a lot of that going around, I can't tell you how many of coaches or people who want to be coaches that I meet. But I think we all teach what we need to learn. I think we all teach what we mm. need to hear. So I, I see everything as necessary in the moment. There's, it's like life pushes us into a kind of awakening. 
and like the hurricanes and the people in our lives that we just think we can't tolerate. You know, they're mm. there to push us to something kinder because they push us and we become angry. And then at some point, it just has to flip. And suffering is the flip side of our true nature. So if you could go back in time and give yourself advice in your 20s or 30s, those, those years when you were suffering and mom to young children and not having yeah. and, and what advice would that be oh you know i cannot i honestly can't think of one piece of advice that i would have been able to hear i would say be kind hmm. be still and just notice but i wouldn't have had time to listen to that i would say you know, there is something wrong with anyone that would tell me to be kind. I would right. if I could. And what do you mean, notice? I notice, you know, excuse me, you're in my way, basically. So I want to close with, you've, you've written this fantastic new book, A Mind at Home with Itself, along with Stephen Mitchell. Yes. Um, why this book, you know, why now? Why is this message so important? Everyone has to pick this up. We don't want to give away too much, but why the book? You have nothing. You, you've you've done so much incredible work, and your messages reach millions. But why why this? Um, the Buddha, you know, in in my particular culture, and you know the way I was raised, and it, et cetera, and um, I never. You know, I had that was for other people. Mm. But um, my husband, Stephen Mitchell, he asked me if I'd like to hear a text he had translated. And it is the Diamond Sutra. And it's, um, it's about the Buddha who has a student named Sabuti. And so it's a conversation. And the book was so difficult for people to read, even devoted Buddhists. Um, it was difficult to read for whatever reason. It's complex, sure. complicated. And so Stephen, as Stephen does, um, wanted to translate it uh, because it is so beautiful in a way that everyone would easily be able to, to read it and understand it. And of course, I'd never heard of the Diamond Sutra, and I certainly uh, didn't come from a background where there were any Buddhists that I was aware of. But he began to read um, chapter by chapter to me, and he would ask me, he'd read a chapter and ask me to respond out of my own experience as I listened to the Buddha's teachings. And um, so that's what, that's what this book is. And, and I could see very quickly that, that the Buddha actually was not um, talking to a student, that that was a part of himself. And he would be like the ultimate mind at home with itself, always questioning what he believed and just living in that mind at home with himself. And so there was no subuti, it was just the Buddha sitting in himself and I of all people uh, understand that as I've had the privilege of understanding that all the answers are inside of me and again the privilege of not only recognizing that but 
but it really is it, it really is so and i hope this book points everyone back to themselves and their own wisdom because it definitely is is there i mean there cannot be a, a buddha consciousness without all of us having it and we do no one is wiser than another human being we have that equally but what we're thinking and believing overrides that. You know, and I really refer to, I refer to that to the real fake news. All these <laughs> assumptions and judgments running through our head prior to investigation, and it's crazy-making, and we're, we're really costing all of us a lot in, in this thing we, we call existence. Well, everyone, the book absolutely delivers. Everyone must pick up the yes. mind at home with itself. Uh, the mind at home. Living the revolutionary process called the work. Yeah. Thank you so much. It is an <laughs> honor and a, a pleasure to have the extraordinarily inspirational Byron Katie with us. Thank you so much for all that you do. Oh, well, thank you. It's so easy to, to sit with you. I love your quiet way and, oh, and you. your humor. We'll do this again. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, <laughs> everyone. Bye.